You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, Pastor Aaron brought us What Are You Building? Part 2. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Amen, man. That was good. Who here went to Mexico? I know we had a few. Is anybody else in here? Are they all first service? Great. Great. Yeah, she went. <laughs> she got the shirt. Um, uh, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who helped out this weekend at Hope in the Park. It was amazing. Uh, we had a Thursday night. We went and knocked down uh, almost, not, we didn't knock down. We knocked down every door. Uh, my son peeked in every door. If there was a window, my son was like, if you're in there, I'm going to see you when I ring that doorbell and you should come. No, but we knocked on uh, most doors in the entire city. I think we did like 90% of the doors or 80% of all the doors in the city and invited them. Friday night, we had an amazing time at Horseshoe Lake Park and then Saturday as well. And it was so awesome to see so many people that would probably never step foot in a church be able to hear the gospel, uh, for us to love on them, for us to encourage them, for us to pray for them, and it was an amazing success. So if you participated or helped or prayed or sowed into that, we just want to say thank you uh, for loving this community, for loving the city. Uh, Every time we get to partner together to give and to love the city of Woodland or Kalama or Richfield or Center, man, is such a privilege. And actually, uh, in August, we're doing another Hope in the Park in Kalama. And uh, we're going to be starting a youth group in Kalama in September. We started a youth group in La Center in uh, September of last year. Uh, but we're going to be starting um, a youth group in Kalama in September of this year. And we're super excited to the month prior to do a Hope in the Park to just add to the momentum of that youth ministry. So be praying about how you can be involved, how you can serve, how you can uh, uh, sow into what God's doing in the city of Kalama. But for all of you who served this last week, and we just want to say thank you, your yes impacted a lot of people. Your yes impacted many hearts, many families, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, speaking of yes, who here has a really hard time saying no? Anybody have a hard time saying no? Like, yeah, uh, my, my wife and I, we have a very busy life, a very busy schedule, very jam-packed, and we have a really hard time saying no, especially when people come to us and they're like, man, we'd love to go out to dinner with you, we'd love to hang out, uh, can you come to our house for us? It's like, yes. Yes, we can do that, but we have a hard time saying no. However, there are certain things in our life, uh, certain things in my life that I am really good at saying no at. One of those things is when people ask me to help them move. I am very good at saying no to helping people move. When they call or they tell me about their plans weeks in advance on, hey, on a July 15th, we're going to move. It's going to be great. I immediately text my wife and I'm like, hey, schedule something for July 15th so we are busy. I have a legitimate excuse. Like, you know how it is. It's like the one nice day that you got to go and then you show up on time, but they're not ready. And then they got to have all their stuff. You got to put it in the boxes for them. And then they're like, hey, we have the thousand pound chest. That's up three flights of stairs. You're young. You would love to do that, right? No. No, I would not. And then they've got the California king. You've got to fold in half to get through the hallways and the doors. You're like, no. No. Who, who here likes to help people move? Saints. You're the real heroes in the faith. Proud of you. You make the rest of us look bad, though. Another thing that I'm really good at saying no to is working out. My wife has been on me since we've been married to work out. I'm not proud of this fact, but I don't work out. And I'm not saying I haven't tried. Two years ago, when uh, our youngest daughter was still in my wife's belly, I finally was like, okay, babe, I'm going to start working out with you. Um, 
So she, uh, and which, by the way, if you ever want to feel good about yourself working out, work out with the pregnant lady. You will always be better than the person standing next to you. And so I'm like, let's do it together. So she bought this DVD called, what was it? T25, which is basically 25 minutes of hell on a DVD. And what you do is you get in your living room so no one else can see how terrible you look, and you work out. And I thought, hey, this is going to be great. My wife can do it. I can do it. Well, five minutes into this thing, I'm sucking air hard, hardcore. Like, I am dead. Things are hurting in places where they've never hurt before. And I lasted three days. Three days, I did these DVDs. Now, I never plan on going to hell. I hope none of you go to hell. But if you want to know what it feels like, do a 25-minute DVD with a guy screaming at you where you got to hold a plank for five minutes. That's not my idea of working. So I've tried it. Now, a year ago, uh, I was like, babe, I'm going to start running again. I used to run. I'm like, look at this body. This is a runner's body. Can't lift weights. No, this body ain't lifting weights, but this body can run. So I'm like, I'm going to start running. So uh, I'm really ambitious. So I get my, my youngest daughter in the stroller. I put Israel at that time, who was six, on a bike. And I'm like, we're going to go for a run. Not running one mile. I want to run four. Why? Because I'm a man of faith. I don't have lack. I'm a man of faith. So we're going to run four miles. And I like to do things fast because God does things fast. He's an and suddenly God. So I'm going to run like a seven-minute mile. That's my expectation. Haven't ran in years, but I'm going to run four miles, a seven-minute mile each mile because I'm a man of faith. By the end of the first mile, I'm dead. I'm not moving another step. Israel's concerned about my well-being. I'm like, son, we are walking home. But once we get to our street, I will run again. So if my wife happens to look out of the window, I say, baby, I ran the whole way. I did it. Be proud of me. I'm a runner. But see, when I, when I say no to working out, what I'm really doing is I'm saying yes to having a few extra pounds. Which, by the way, I gained 20 pounds a few years ago. You're like, really? Yeah, there's extra 20 pounds on here from when I got married. And my wife, rather than feeling bad and saying you should work out, she said, you're a man. You're finally a man. Welcome. Welcome to the adulthood. So I feel like, see, extra pounds actually helps the figure. But see, every time I say no to working out, I'm really saying yes to low stamina. I'm saying yes to a wife who continues to nag on me to work out. Every time I say no to something, I'm saying yes to something else. Every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. And oftentimes we create a lifestyle of saying yes to so many different things. And we end up saying no to some of the most important things in life. Some of the most important things begin to be pushed by the wayside because we're filling our space with so much stuff. A couple of weeks ago, my wife was making dinner. She's a great cook. Best cook ever. She's really good. And... Uh, I wasn't being sarcastic. Stop it. I was not trying to be funny. That was a true statement. She is an amazing cook. <laughs> Anyways, amen. That was not even in faith. That's just fact. Somewhere in scripture. And so I'm digging myself out. And so she was making dinner, and uh, she forgot a key ingredient. No biggie. It was probably just tomato sauce for spaghetti or something. And so she's like, I need, I need to run to the grocery store to go get this other key ingredient. To get one item. To get one thing at the grocery store. She came back an hour later with 30 items. Any husbands know what I'm talking about right now? 
right? You went for one thing. Like, you can't go to Costco and buy one thing. It's impossible. It's, it's like impossible. They make you sign a waiver when you come in, you will buy more than one thing. So she comes back with 30 things, and I'm like, how did that happen? Well, you see, honey, when I went there, I didn't want to go back again next week, so I had to buy all these other things. And I was walking down the aisle, and I said, this thing, and I really wanted it. There's no way I could say no because I was already there. And I'm like, you just say no. It's a budget. This is what our lives look like many times as we're walking down. I hope that helped you. I hope that helped. Is we, we walk down the aisles of life and we just start saying yes to so many different things and our cart gets so full and we got no room for anything else. And when we look at our priorities of life, oftentimes we relegate the most important things to the bottom of the barrel or actually there's not even room for them because we've said yes to so many things. And many times the first thing to get relegated is our relationship with the Lord. Because we're so busy. I don't got time for that right now. I barely got space even to get to church. I don't got time to read my Bible. I don't got time to spend, to spend uh, even 20 minutes with the Lord. I got to relegate that aside because I'm just so busy. It's just the season of life that I'm in. And our priorities get all screwed up because we just keep saying yes to so many things. A couple weeks ago, um, all of us senior leaders here, we went on a retreat just to kind of celebrate the five years of pastoring here at the church. Yay. And, uh, whoo, thank you. And so we went away, we, we went to Florida, and it was just a time to be able to hang out together and to sweat and remind ourselves why we like the Northwest. And uh, so uh, I was responsible for booking the tickets, and so there are six of us going, but you could only put four tickets on one purchase. So I booked the tickets for my wife and I and for Jonathan and Melissa, and then I booked the tickets for Case and Ashley on a separate one. Well, the day before, when you're supposed to check in for your flight, I checked in the four of us, but I forgot to check them in because they were on a different one. So when Case and Ashley showed up at the airport, they had to check themselves in, but they weren't able to get their seat assignments because it was too close to the time that we were going to fly out. So they had to go to the gate uh, at the terminal in order to actually get the seat assignments. Well, when Casey shows up to get the seat assignments, they tell him, yeah, we can't give you a seat because we've overbooked the flight. Are you, are you, you overbooked? So there's no seat for him and for him and Ashley. So meanwhile, the four of us, we're sitting there saying, does it make us terrible friends if we just leave you behind? I mean, it's a weird predicament. I mean, put yourself in our shoes. We're like, we love you, but we really want to go. So we're sitting there just trying to say, okay, so how long is it like long enough to wait to where you're not a jerk anymore? So we stay all the way till we have to get on last call, last boarding call if you want to get on the plane. So we get on the plane and we're just praying because we're thinking like, man, if they can't get on, they're going to have to take a red eye flight. They're actually paying people $1,200 to give up their seat to somebody else because they've so overbooked this flight. I think I forget the number. I think it was 10 people they overbooked. And so Case and Ash at this point, they have to stay in the, in the terminal while we get on and we're just praying. We're sitting on the, airport, or on the airplane just like, God, please, this would ruin the whole trip if they weren't able to come right now. And as the doors are closing to the airplane, they walk in as the last people finally get their seats and they're able to sit down. And we're like, thank the Lord. They were more thankful than we were, but we still said thank the Lord. And that analogy is so similar to what our lives look like on a daily basis. We've overbooked ourselves and have no room on our flight, have no room in our lives for Jesus. And here comes Jesus saying, hey, where am I sitting? 
you know, Lord, I really would like to get you on my plane, but I've just kind of overbooked the flight and there's no room for you. And many of us spend time in the terminal talking to the Lord on a Sunday morning. We're like, man, this sounds so exciting. I'd love to let you into my life. I'd love to give you a seat. In fact, I'd love to give you first class. I'd love to do it, but there's just actually not space right now on my plane. And so I don't really have time for you right now. And we do this actually in seasons of our lives where we say, you know, I really would love to, to, to spend time with you and serve and grow in relationship with you, but you know that I'm in a busy season right now in, in the semester in college, and I just don't really have time. Or, you know, while my kids are young, I just don't have the same time or energy to be able to dedicate to serving in the church or actually even attending church. And so God just knows I'm in this season of my life right now where I really can't give anything to him. Or I'm in this season where, you know, my job has been crazy, and i am really got to just focus and build my business and do all these things, and finances are tough, so I've got to work extra hours. So right now, I just don't have space for Jesus. And oftentimes, we overbook our life because we're saying yes to so many things that we don't have room for the thing that means the most. We've got to develop a lifestyle of learning how to actually say no to things so that he can have the priority. In, in, in flying, Right, you can spend an extra $50 or so to get priority seating. Anybody ever spent that money? Yeah, I didn't think so. So generally you don't do it because right, there's like nine groups and like you just, you're in your group and you know you're gonna get on and it's no big deal. But if you spend the extra 50 bucks, man, you'll get priority seating. So you get to get on first and pick whatever seat you want or, or you can just get your luggage on first, but you're on before anybody else. This is what we need to do with the Lord, is we need to remove everybody off of our life, everybody off of our plane, everything that holds our attention and say, Lord, I'm gonna give you priority seating. Wherever you wanna sit, you get to choose. I won't let another person onto that plane until you say they can come on. I won't add another thing to my life. I won't add more clutter to my life unless you say I should. See, Jesus should actually be sitting in the captain's chair. Right, he should be manning the plane. He built the plane, he built the engines, he built the chairs. He knows how to fly that plane better than you do. But what we do is, if we even have room for Jesus in our lives, we'll stick him in the back. And then once turbulence begins to come, we're like, paging Jesus, please come to the captain's chair. And Jesus comes up, right? Jesus comes up because there's a little turbulence in our lives. Like, hey, can you fly the plane right now? Because I don't really know what to do. So he jumps in the captain's seat, he flies the plane, gets us through turbulence, and we're like, thank you, now go back to your seat so I can fly my plane again. This is what we do in our lives. We face a challenge in our lives. We're like, Jesus, are you even there? Can you help me? He comes and he provides a solution. He gets us through the turbulence. And then once we're through, we're like, thank you. Now you can go right back to your seat and I'll continue to fly my own plane. We do this all the time. And basically what we're doing is we're prostatizing Jesus. Prostituting Jesus. Could be prostatizing. We're prostituting Jesus. Is we're only using him. This is just going sideways. I... <laughs> Basically, any time we face an issue, any time we need help, any time it meets our needs, Jesus, you can come. You can help me. You can fly my plane. But as soon as I get into the clear, thank you, don't need you anymore. And we're only using him as a need meter. He's never Lord. He barely is Savior. He's just there to meet my needs. If I did that with my wife, that's called a prostitute. That's what we do, is Jesus becomes this person we run to when I need my needs met. Not because I care about him, not because I want a relationship with him, only to meet my needs. And then we say, okay, go back to your seat again. And too often, we, we create a lifestyle where there's no space for Jesus. 
I don't even have room to spend time with them. Reading my Bible for 20 minutes, spending even five minutes in prayer, like some of us, it's like the only thing I got is just while I'm on my way to work, I could just spend time in the car with you. Like that's all I got. What would happen if we actually removed the slate? If we said, okay, everybody off. Okay, Jesus, what do you want to do? Where do you want to sit? You want the captain's seat? You want first class? You don't want to let anybody else on? That's fine. It's your plane. I won't even leave the tarmac until you tell me I can leave. We've got to actually remove the clutter. Say no to different things in our lives so that Jesus can actually be Lord. He can't be Lord of your life if he's sitting in, for, in, in, in economy class. That's not Lord. Lord is in the captain's chair. But too often, we see him in the, at the terminal, at the gate. Sorry, Lord, I've overbooked. I don't got space for you. Let me say it like this. If you're not spending time every day with the Lord, you're too overbooked. You're too overbooked. If you're not spending time, set aside time with the Lord, you're probably overbooked. He is preferred seating. He is the Lord of your life. He is the most important relationship you will ever have. You want to know how to improve your marriage? Spend time with the Lord. You want to know how to improve your kids? How to be a better parent? Spend time with the Lord. You want to know how to work better at your job? Spend time with the Lord. How do I help my finances? Spend time with the Lord. He is the answer to every issue you have in your life. Spend time with the Lord. But too often you spend time with the Lord on a Sunday morning and that's it. You spend time with the Lord in public only. It's really hard for me to be intimate with my wife if I only do it publicly. That would either get me thrown in jail. <laughs> oh, dear Jesus, help me. Or, or, or it just wouldn't happen. I've got to actually get alone with Jesus when no one else is around, just me and him. That's where I, I grow in intimacy with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, Somewhere. Do you have it on? That's 16. Sorry, it was chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must learn how to deny yourself. Learning how to say no is important. How to say no to the right things is important. I hear from so many people, I just don't got time. I just don't have time with the Lord. You know, I would serve. I would serve in the church. I'm just waiting for God to kind of tell me when the right time is. And I want to be like, did the Lord tell you it was the right time to go fishing for five hours yesterday? Did he tell you it was the right time to watch TV every night for two hours? Like it's a double standard. I'll ask the Lord if it's the right time for things I don't want to do. But for the things I do want to do, I don't even ask the Lord if I should do it or not. It's a double standard. It's always the right time to love. It's always the right time to serve, and it's always the right time to give. It always is, because we're called to live like Jesus, and that's what he did. We need to create space in our lives, and the only way to do that is oftentimes by saying, no, I've got to reprioritize my life to make room so that I can love people, to make room so I can serve, to make room so I can even grow in relationship with the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared about how I went to Iraq and um, spent a week there. Before I went, Tash was like, my wife, she was like, you need to get a new life insurance policy on you so if you die, I never have to work again. <laughs> Which was, I understood. I was like, yeah, okay, sounds good. So I, I was like, okay, if I die, I, I should, you should be taken care of. So I got a bigger life insurance policy. Well, in order to do that, I had to get another medical exam. And uh, so somebody came to my office and, you know, they were going to take my blood. 
Uh, I was going to pee in a cup, take my blood pressure, and height and weight. <laughs> and uh, so this lady at that time, she walks into my office, and as she walks in, there's only one thing I notice. She's walking in like this. Like this is how she's walking in. Now, normally, my response would have been, what's going on? Can I pray with you? Um, and I would ask God to do, do a, a miraculous thing at that moment. But the only thing I think about is she's about ready to stick a needle in my arm, and here's how she's walking in. I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, I'm about ready to die before I even leave. I wouldn't even get the life insurance policy because I'm not even approved yet. She's going to stick my arm, and I'm going to bleed out. That's all I'm thinking about at this moment. I'm not even thinking like Jesus. And so she comes in, and as soon as she sits down, I only care about one thing. So you've been in the business very long? Oh, yeah, 30 years. How about the last three? You've been doing it in the last three years, or is this like you just came back? No, I've been doing Okay, great. Like, how many times? Thousands of times. Everybody live? Good success rate? Yeah. Great. So here she comes with the needle. Now, I will tell you, it was the best experience I've ever had with the nurse. She was perfect. No pain. I got done, and I was like, that was miraculous. Like, thank you. That was, that was perfect, because I got like a fear of needles. I hate needles. Anyways, that wasn't the reason I was telling you that story. So she comes in, and she's, she's taking my blood pressure, and she's doing my height and weight, and she looks at me, and she's like, do you work out? And I'm like, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I have. I've worked out. I'm like, why? She's like, because you're really trim and fit and you're healthy. You look healthy. You look good. I'm like, thank you. I do, don't I? I do look good. She's like, do you run? I've, I run. I do run. I run to the bathroom and, you know, I run. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I run. Yeah, yeah, I run. She's like, because you, you look like you're built to be a runner. I'm like, I, I am. I am. I run. So when I got home that day, I went to my wife and I was like, notice anything different about me today? I work out. I'm healthy. I'm like, this lady, she's a professional. She walked into my office. She, was a prof she looked like she'd been doing this for 30 years. I felt so comfortable with her. She knew what she was talking about. She took one look at me and you know what she said? She said, I look like I work out. I look like I'm a runner. Me. What do you think? Tash looks at me, and she's like, you may look like it on the outside, but you don't look like it on the inside. I was like, I bind that evil spirit. Get out of my wife. How dare you? That is not who I am. This is what we look like many times as Christians. Men on the outside, man, I look like I'm a sprinter. I run a marathon. Men, but you should see me jump on a trampoline for longer than five minutes with my kids. I'm like, whoo, I am out of breath. I may look like I'm fit on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, man, I don't got a lot of stamina. As Christians, this is us so often as we can look the part. Man, you haven't missed one Sunday in a few months. You held your hands up during worship longer than anybody else. You must be a good Christian. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden the moment we face an issue, the moment something challenging comes our way, the moment our kids start acting up or our husband says this, or our finances look that way, we're like, oh, is God even real? I don't even know if you're real, God. Because on the outside, it's just a facade. On the inside, there's actually nothing there that's really authentic. We're as deep as a mud puddle the moment we get tested. And we can look the part, 
but on the inside is counterfeit. It's like traveling to a third world country and you buy a Rolex watch for 20 bucks, <laughs> right? Right, and you come home and you're like, yeah, I got a Rolex. Looks the part on the outside, but it's worthless. It's fake. And so often we can have the appearance of authenticity, but on the inside, it's counterfeit. It's fake. In Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. This is a, a letter written to the church of Sardis. An angel of the Lord says, I know your deeds. You have reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This is how so many believers look. Is on the outside, they look alive. But when you look at the heart, when you look at the inside, they're actually dead. Have the appearance of having it all together. Man, you come to church, you've read your Bible, you could even quote some scriptures, you know how to pray. But when it really comes down to it, on the inside, you're dead. On the inside, you actually don't even know the Lord. This is why in Matthew could say that scripture when Jesus is talking to these people and he's saying, you cast out demons in my name, you've healed the sick in my name, you even prophesy, but I never knew you, depart from me. How can you do all those things but not yet not know the Lord? It's because you can have the appearance from the outside of knowing Jesus, but on the inside you can really be dead. What's the state of your inside? Have we created a persona? Have we, have we created this perception around us that we could just do church? We can go through the motions, but really it's just a facade. What's the depth of your heart? And if we're not careful, we can become professional churchgoers. We can become professional churchgoers who just go through the motions, who know how to act, who do all the right things, who say all the right things, but honestly, on the inside, we really don't know the Lord. How can you actually have people who've prophesied, cast out demons, healed the sick, but yet don't know Jesus? And we wonder, well, if I go to church, that makes me a Christian, right? If I worship, that must mean I'm a believer. Your relationship with the Lord goes much further than an action. It goes much further than an attendance. It's does he know you? Have you made him just a need meter? Have you created your life so full that there's no space for him to even get inside, to even have a seat, to even have a place on a day-to-day -day basis? Or are you so booked that there's just no room in the inn for you? What's the state of your heart? In, in Haggai, there's a story that I read a couple weeks ago about the Israelites. They've been in captivity for 70 years. They've been in captivity under Babylonian and Persian rule. And after 70 years, God comes to them and he says, it's time to go back to the promised land and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls. So they go back. They go back and they're all excited, right? They see the temple. They see the walls. They're like, we're going to do this. We're going to make it magnificent. God's going to do something amazing. And then it says, after 16 years, nothing had been done. After 16 years, the wall had still not been rebuilt. The temple had still not been rebuilt. Nothing had happened. And God speaks to the prophet Haggai and he says this to them. He says, he says something. He says in 1 verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Those people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And this is what many of us say. It's not my time. It's not my time to serve. It's not my time to give. It's not my time. I'm busy. It's not my time. It will be. I want to do it eventually, but right now I'm just too busy. God knows. I'm just too jam-packed, but now is not my time. And he comes in verse 3 and he says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet 
Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So God says, that's interesting. It's funny you should say you don't have time because it looked like you had plenty of time to build your paneled houses while my house remains in ruins. So that's fascinating because you keep telling me how the last 16 years you haven't been able to do it, but look at what you've accomplished. See, what had happened is they'd started the building project. They had, they had come with excitement and enthusiasm, just like many believers. You encounter the Lord, man, I'm excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do so many great things for the Lord. But all of a sudden, you go back to your life and you realize, well, I'm building the house of the Lord, but look at my house. I'm sleeping under the stars. I, I need to live somewhere. And then so you start building your house. And as you're building your house, you realize, well, now I need a job to provide money so that I can actually keep living. And, and pretty soon life happens and God wants me to, you know, provide for my kids. And he wants me to go on vacation and have a great time. And he wants me to be successful financially. And he wants my kids to be involved in sports and all these other things, which are great things. But pretty soon what happens is we've built our house and the Lord's house is still broken. It's still in ruins and we've done nothing to help. And so often we can be building the wrong house. Without even realizing it, we can be building something that we think the Lord is passionate about, but really all it is is it's for us. And we can do it in our marriage. We can be building the wrong house in our marriage. We think all our wife wants is just for us to provide a paycheck, to take her on vacations, to make sure the yard is good. That's what she wants. She wants a provider. But what she really wants is a husband who loves her, who communicates, who takes care of her, who grows in relationship with her. That's what her husband really wants. That's what the wife really wants. What we do with our kids, all oh, my kids, I know what they want. They want the life I never had. They want me to be able to help them uh, get everything that they want and be the best of the sports. I'm going to put them in all these different things. And I'm going to, you know, they don't want to be disciplined because that, that's not what kids want these days. But what the, parent, what the parents don't realize is what the kid really wants without realizing it is a dad or a mom who disciplines, who loves, who guards, protects, and introduces them to the king. Not just who provides for them, but who's present, who plays with them, who has conversation with them. And we can be so focused in building the wrong house and not even realize that we've totally walked in disobedience because we haven't built the right one. And many times as believers, we can be creating a lifestyle of being busy, of doing many different things. And on the outside, it can look like, man, look at what you're doing for God. Man, you're doing all that stuff. Man, you just, man, you look at your life. You just look successful. You have friends or, man, look at what you've accomplished. But really all along, it's fake on the inside, but it looks great on the outside. And maybe many of us are in that situation where we've been really busy. We're saying yes to a lot of things and we've created a lifestyle where, man, my, my plane's always full. I got people sitting, I got people in first class, man, and I'm really great at certain things. But real, what we really need to do is we need to remove everything off the schedule. And we need to say, Jesus, I'm gonna make you my only priority. If there's room for anything else, great. So what does that look like practically? It looks like this. It looks like you needing to sit down and reorganize your life. Start over. Earlier this year, I preached a message about moving forward. And there was a, there's a family here. I don't know if they're here right now. They're going to share this testimony at some point. Surprise. And, um, and when, I was, when I was preaching about this, they felt like God convicted them. And the wife, who had a very successful job, quit her job to stay home with their child who was in daycare. They sold their house, moved into a smaller house and downsized because their life was just too crazy. They had no room. They had to reorganize their priorities. Sometimes it looks that extreme. Sometimes it looks like you've got to start over because you've realized your plane has been full for too long. You've missed what means most or you've missed what matters most. 
you haven't made space for Jesus. Sometimes it looks like creating a priority to say, I'm actually going to spend time with Jesus every day. You will probably not grow in your relationship with the Lord very deeply if you do not spend time with him daily. Every day. You may never preach a message your entire life. You may never hold a microphone and stand on a stage. But God wants to grow in relationship with you just the same. He wants to grow in relationship with you, but it means you must actually prioritize time. Not just when it's convenient for you, not just when you need an answer, but because you love Jesus. Let me say it this way. If that doesn't appeal to you, you might not actually know him. Let me say that again. If that doesn't appeal to you, you might not actually know Jesus. Here's why I know that. Because in the, in the natural, when you eat of something, you get full. You get satisfied and you don't need to eat for a little while. In the kingdom of God, when you, when you eat of the Lord, when you spend time with the Lord, when you uh, are in his presence and you, you get filled by him, it actually doesn't make you full where you don't want anything. It makes you wanting more. Now that I've tasted of him, now that I've spent time with him, all I want is more of him. Which means if you don't have a desire to spend time with him, you might not know him. You've got to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Do I have the appearance on the outside that I know him, but inside it's a counterfeit. It might be fake. It might not be deep at all. Am I building the wrong house? You could spend years building the wrong house and not even know it. The Israelites spent 16 years building the wrong house. Are you? Are you building the wrong one? To others around you, it might look great. It might be like, man, look how, look how diligent you are. Look what you've started. Look what you've done, man. Other people haven't done that. Man, look at your kids. Man, they're so great. Man, look at your marriage. It's awesome. All great things. All great things, but it can easily distract from the most important thing. All of us want great kids. All of us want a great marriage. All of us want great houses and cars. We want to go on vacations. We want the great job. We want great money. We want all those great things, and the Lord wants those things for you too, but not at the cost of not knowing him. Do you have space for Jesus? And I believe that many of us in this room, if we're being honest, we need to get everybody off of our plane, and we need to start over. Jesus has been left at the gate watching us go by, and we leave and we say, sorry, I'm overbooked, but next time I come around, I'm sure I'm going to have space for you, just not in this season. There is no season in your life where Jesus should not be controlling your plane. There is no season where you are too busy for him. There is no season in your life where he should be not on your plane. None. You always have time for Jesus. It's your choice. We've been on a series without even knowing we've been on a series for about three months, four months, about authentic Christianity. Is it even real? Because I got a feeling that oftentimes it can get fake because we can go through the motions. I can be a professional Christian. I know exactly what to do so that people around me think that I love Jesus. I'm really good. I know when to raise my hands and I can be in a worship service and never actually worship Jesus. We can come to church year after year after year and really not know him. You can prophesy, you can heal the sick and cast out demons and never know him. On the outside looks real, but on the inside you're dead.
I can look busy, but the whole time I'm building the wrong house, not building the right one. Today, which house are you building? What do you look like on the inside? Are you an inch deep? So when the going gets tough, all of a sudden, man, it's really easy to tell. I really don't even know the Lord. And I think if we're honest today, many of us in this room have the appearance of being good on the outside, but on the inside, man, we got a lot of holes. We're broken. We're questioning whether this is even real. We're hopeless. We don't have joy. Man, we're really not even deep with the Lord. We don't even spend time with him. Can't remember the last time I even heard his voice. Can't remember the last time I picked up my Bible. Or maybe we've just created such a system that we just know how to go through the motions really well. I know what to do. I know what not to do. I know what to hide. I know when to open my mouth, when not to. I know how many times I need to show up at church on a regular basis so that people don't ask me if I'm doing good. And we just create a system. What's your inside look like? And today I believe that there's many in this room who on the outside look like they're doing great, but on their inside, you're really dead. You're broken. And if we were to read further on, which I'll do in a couple weeks in this chapter in Haggai, we see how the people of Israel recognized that it was the voice of God. They ran up on the hill, and they got timber to begin to build a house of the Lord. Great intention means nothing. It means nothing. What matters is what are you going to do about it. I am so proud of you that if you feel convicted and you're like, man, I'm going to do so many things, but if you do nothing with it, it means nothing. Great intention gets you nowhere. What will you do? What will you change? Will you really reorganize your life? Will you really begin to say no things and spend time with the Lord? What will you do? What will you do? And today we want to we pray with you. And if you're, if you're here today and you're saying, man, if I'm being honest on the outside, man, I look like I got going on, like I got going on, but on the inside, man, I'm broken. On the inside, man, I got questions. On the inside, I'm actually not that deep and I'm kind of dead. I just want you to stand to your feet and we want to pray with you today. If on the outside you're saying, man, man, I, I know how to do this thing, but man, I, I don't even know if I'm spending time with the Lord. I don't know if I'm actually, you know, in tough seasons, if I even have anything to resource from. There's more of you here today. We give you time. If you're looking at your plan and you're like, man, I, I, I got so many seats full right now, I don't even have space for Jesus. I don't have space. I've overbooked my flight. It's time for you actually to remove everything off the shelf and say, Jesus, you're the only one that matters. If you're here today and you're in that category, I just want you to stand. Here's why I'm waiting, because I'm in that camp. Because I'm realizing that oftentimes I can go through the motions and not even realize it. And we can become very, very good at looking good on the outside, but on the inside, we aren't. I'm going to give you more time. If you're here today and that's you, stand. not awkward for me I'll wait this is what I know is that many times in my life when I have felt distant from the Lord and I've felt like I have not felt him it's not because it's not it's not because I've done 
maybe, let me say it this way. It's because he's moved on. When I felt distant from the Lord, it's because he's moved on. We talk about going from glory to glory to glory. Sometimes I believe that the Lord takes us to glory to glory. He takes us up and moves us on. Other times I think he goes on to the next glory and he says, are you going to come? And it's up to you. Will you follow him? He distances himself sometimes to say, you can't stay there any longer. Will you follow me? But the only way to follow me is you've got to move. You've got to change some things in your life. Will you follow me? And I feel like the Lord is doing that for this church. I feel like the Lord is doing that in many people in this church where he's saying, I want to take you someplace, but if I continue to show up the way I've been doing it right here, you will always stay in that place. But I've got to show you that you need to come after me. Don't get comfortable. Don't get satisfied with where you're at. So what I want to do is if you're standing right now, I just want you to put your hands out and I want to pray over you. And I want to pray that a prayer that I've been praying for myself lately about God beginning to dig deep in me and slice deep every time I, I begin to go into performance mode. I begin to try to look the part. I begin to get overcrowded in my life and not make room for him. So Jesus, we ask right now that you'd begin to surgically slice every part in our hearts. Lord, take, take the, 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 the scalpel of heaven and show us places in our heart where we've begun to become fake or we've begun to go through the motions or we've begun to become unauthentic because simply we, we've grown stale or we've gone through the motions. God, we want to be people that are true. We want to be people, Father, that know the Lord and the Lord knows us. We want to be people that have depth. God, show us, Lord, things that we need to remove. People, maybe it's um, things in our lives that have been good things, but, Lord, they aren't the best things. Things that have replaced you, things that have taken the place of you and become more of a priority than you. God, begin to, to, to show us things that we need to begin to say no to, ways that we can begin to repri- reprioritize our life. Lord, not just to make space for you, but to give you total control of the whole cabin, of, the, of where the plane goes, of, of where it lands, of, of who we allow to get on. Lord, we want to say yes to you first. Not for you to be an afterthought, not for you to be the second, not for you to be the third, but the first. And Lord, here I am, broken, desperate, hungry for you. God, oftentimes I don't feel like I got much to even give, but Lord, I think that's what you want most, is for somebody to just sit there. So, Lord, here I am. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose. God, I just want to be a son. I just want to learn how to sit with you and talk with you and hear your voice. God, where I find myself not wanting to leave your presence. Where I find myself as if I didn't eat natural food, I would get hungry. Where I I literally, if I'm without you, I begin to get pains. I begin to get hunger pains, like I must have more of you. God, help me to be a person, Lord, that actually doesn't read to meet my needs, doesn't pray to meet my needs, but Lord, I do it because I just want to spend time with you. I want to learn about you. I want to grow in relationship with you. God, help me when I worship to not just sing songs on the screen and 
do things that I know feels right, but God, I want it to be real. God, I want to meet with you every time. Show me what it looks like, Lord, to come before you. Show me what it looks like to how to talk to you, how to treat you like a friend. God, help me never to be complacent, never to be satisfied, never to feel like I have enough, but Lord, always wanting more, always, always pursuing, always running after you. And at the same time, Lord, teach me how to just to sit and be still and listen. Teach me that balance and the tension between the two. Help me to never put anything above you to make you my priority. And for every person who's standing right now, begin to tell them and show them exactly what that looks like. Not a great intention, but what do I do next? What do you want me to do? How do I change from this moment? Intentions won't do anything. What are the actions I must do now? Holy Spirit, I even ask for conviction of the Holy Spirit as they leave, as they're about their day. Convict them, convict us, convict our hearts. Lord, every time we begin to to put something ahead of you, you would become the first, the most important thing in our lives. Lord, we wouldn't just have the appearance on the outside, but on the inside, we would be alive and not dead. Won't the rest of you stand? And God, I ask that this church would be a place that is authentic, that we would never become professional Christians. We would never go through the motions. We would never be people that just come and become complacent like it's just a normal thing, like we're just worshiping Jesus again. God, let us always be in wonder of you. God, let us never have to like recharge ourselves during a worship time. Let us never have to be even reminded because it's like, we get to serve Jesus. He's the king. And we get to be in his presence. God, let, us, let it astound us every time. God, what a privilege it is that we get to have the solution that the whole world is looking for. God, that this church would be marked by the presence of God because we spend time with you in private, not just on a Sunday morning, not just on a Wednesday night, but we actually are marked by God because we spend time with you in private, in the secret place. That we want to be people that just have a a ritual, a routine, or know the motions. But God, it's real and authentic. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked in me, anything fake, anything not of you, anything counterfeit. God, search us if there be any religious spirit in us. Because we see it in Scripture all the time how people can be standing right in front of you, Jesus, and not even know. They can see the Savior of the world and not even know he's standing in front of them. God, that's not what we want. God, we want to know you, and we want you to know us. In Jesus' name.